Keith, I've got questions for you. I'll, we can go ahead and hit those off. I mean, I got answers if you got questions. That's that's the okay. easy part. Well, the, here you go. One's got to go. We'll do the classic. One's got to go. Raekwon, Ghostface, Killer, Method Man, or RZA? Who's got to go? Who's got like? Who do I have to kick out the clan? You got to kick out a Wu Tang Clan. Oh man. Uh, are we talking 1993 or like 2006? Oh, more '90s. After 36 Chambers, I'm not. It, you know, that was still their best album. Cause like, cause, cause Ghostface was not that good in the beginning, but he's since like 2000, he's been the most prolific one by far. True. See, you can't get rid of the RZA's be, production. Right. Even, but the, the I kind of like how the RZA raps actually. <laughs> well, he's he's got he's all like super technical and his flow is weird. Um, see if it was it would would have been easy if you just said pick pick one Wu Tang Clan member, then we just kick out you God, right? Right. I mean, yeah, uh, he he's gone. Football fans, it's now time for the D3Football.com Around the Nation podcast. Here are your hosts, Pat Coleman and Keith McMillan. Hello and welcome to the D3Football.com Around the Nation podcast. I'm Pat Coleman, editor and publisher of D3Football.com, and we have a special podcast for you today in which uh, Keith McMillan, my co-host and the uh, originator of the Around the Nation column on D3Football.com, will sit down and have uh, an in-depth conversation with Jim Catanzaro. He's the head coach at Lake Forest College. He's also the chair of the Division Three Football National Committee. It will be a good conversation for those of you who are new to Division Three Football and new to the playoff process. It will also be, I think, a good conversation for those of you who are veterans of the football selection process have followed the playoffs for a long time because it's been a long time since we've had the ability to hear in depth about the process and how the bracket is put together. You hear Keith and I talk about this all the time, right? Uh, especially this time of year, October, November, when we talk about how the uh, the playoffs are put together, how teams are selected, and you know which criteria of the five major criteria the committee values most. We get to hear from Cat and Zero about you know, how this is put together, you know, what other elements might be involved in putting a bracket together, where the, you know, the pinch points are from the NCAA in terms of the funding of the tournament and why the uh, tournament is set up the way it is in terms of brackets and uh, first round matchups and that sort of thing. I uh, hope that you will listen, take notes, whatever, you know, I appreciate that uh, this is uh, information that uh, we would normally give to you in the form of a podcast, but instead you get to hear it from the person who uh, leads the committee who is putting this all together over the course of the next several weeks. And don't forget, this is a bonus podcast. Keith and I will still be back on Friday with our regular game day podcast for week nine when we go through the uh, the big six games for the upcoming weekend. We pick a game at random. Uh, we put Keith on the spot. I have a great on the spot game for Keith this week. Uh, I'm not sure that he's going to get a chance to listen to this conversation before we get back in the studio and record the next one. Uh, so it'd be interested to, to see how he reacts to that. I think it's going to be a good one. And it won't take seven and a half minutes like uh, like my picks across the country did uh, last Friday. I'm sure I'll take some uh, I'm sure I'll take some ribbing for that on the Friday podcast. This is a bonus podcast here 
uh, dropping on Thursday afternoon. This is Around the Nation podcast number 216, season 12, episode 17. And it's basically entirely this interview with Jim Catanzaro. Uh, so before we get to that, though, I'd like to take the time to mention that the D3Football.com Around the Nation podcast is currently sponsored by Nobody. You could be reaching an audience full of decision makers in Division Three football, coaches who need new equipment, coaches who need to travel to schedule games, that sort of thing. People who can influence decisions on some big money projects like replacing artificial turf or installing artificial turf for the first time. Those are all the people that you can reach by sponsoring the D3Football.com Around the Nation podcast. Keith and I would wax poetic about your product or your service right here. So think about it and drop me an email at pat.coleman at d3sports.com. Welcome back to the D3Football.com Around the Nation podcast. We are joined by Jim Catanzaro. He's the head coach at Lake Forest College in Lake Forest, Illinois, and also has the distinct um, honor, I suppose, we'll see at the end of the year if it still is, of being the chair of the Division Three Football National Committee. Uh, coach, thanks for joining us. Thanks for having me. It's my pleasure. And uh, we also have Keith McMillan on uh, this conversation as well. So we appreciate the, the fact that uh, we're able to have a, a, a three-way conversation here about this. Um, Coach, I feel like we've explained the playoff selection process ad nauseum, right? Uh, dozens of times, maybe hundreds of times. I think listeners might be sick of hearing it uh, from me or sick of hearing it from Keith. So can you give us the thumbnail description of how this whole Division Three football playoff process works for our listeners? Sure. There's going to be uh, 32 teams in the tournament. Uh, there's only five at large bids. And so the uh, the only way to guarantee yourself in is to win your conference championship and win the automatic qualifier. And then we'll have the uh, five at large bids that will go across the entire country, the entire landscape of uh, Division Three football. And, you know, we are the largest division with over 250 teams. I think we're right at 250 teams playing. And uh, so those five spots are coveted and they require um, what will come out of our regional advisory committee rankings to be a part of that. And those will start being released next week. Each of the four regions, Northeast, South, and West, has a committee made up of coaches and administrators who vote and rank the teams um, based on several criterias as to who should be ranked one, two, three, four, and five. And then as we get to selection Sunday, what we do is we will take the conference champions out of that mix and take them off the list automatically. And then the top team for each region remaining will be kind of put up against each other. And we'll uh, we'll take those teams. So if you have a, a team, you know, one in the West and we take them, then team two in the West will bump up to that line and go against team one in the South, North and East for comparative purposes. And uh, again, we try to use some baseline requirements from the NCAA that they've given us. Um, but there is also the influence of the uh, the human element with the coaches from those different regions being on that selection committee and uh, trying to give different feedback about common opponents, uncommon opponents, strength of schedule, and, you know, the quality of some wins versus losses and uh, trying to uh, to figure some of those things out. How much human element is involved? And, you know, from your perspective as the person who is kind of leading this conversation now, how much human element do you think is appropriate? Um, I think it's probably somewhere around, you know, if I was going to put a percent down, it'd be around 15 to 20 percent. So it's it's kind of at the lower end. We lean on the primary criteria more, but in the in the regional rankings, those are the people that actually see these teams go against each other. 
And so each of the last two years, I've had a chance to see Mary Harden Baylor, but I've never seen Harden Simmons in person. But the coaches from the South region have, and they've played against them and they've, you know, competed against them and can provide a little bit more insight than the numbers do. In football, unlike the other Division Three sports, there's a very limited strength of schedule opportunity to, to really change. Um, because of required games within conferences, some schools have, you know, one non-conference game. Others have maybe two. Um, schools like ours, we don't even know how to count two of our games. Our crossover games aren't necessarily conference games, but they're not necessarily non-conference games either because they don't count towards our conference standings. And so there's just different numbers that go into this that are hard to manipulate because there's not as much control for your schedule as there might be for basketball or, you know, soccer where you can schedule more non-conference games to boost those numbers. And so how big of a difference is there between a, you know, a 506 and a 522 strength of schedule? It's really one team having a higher winning percentage that you played against. And so sometimes that's a little bit harder, especially for the teams at the top end of their conferences, because they're naturally going to have a below 50 um, strength of schedule within their conference play. And so that just makes it a little bit more difficult to do. So coach, what you explained is part of what I love about the process is that it's made up of these regional advisory committees. Every conference is represented um, and those committees report to the national committee so that the playoffs are selected by people who have watched the games, who've, who have been uh who know D3 for like for I mean they're they're in D3 right it's not just a bunch of people who sort of kind of watch and then put some numbers up against each other that's what I love about the process and you mentioned that that there's you know maybe 15 to 20 percent of the of the human element up there going against the numbers what do you think is the most valuable input that um that those committee members can bring and what do you would how much outside noise uh, do you pay attention to during the the selection process versus keeping it strictly to the criteria? Um, as far as outside noise, I think we kind of shut all that out. You know, we know what is allowed to be considered and not to be considered. And so I, I know when I'm chairing the West region um, in particular, it's don't bring that up. That's not part of the criteria. That's not up for discussion. And it's kind of like being the judge and telling the jury to disregard something. You hope that they do, but it's already been kind of put out there. Um, and yeah. so we, we try really hard to keep it on on that where the the coaching element in the, the people watching the games really comes in is oftentimes when you're looking at the regional head to head matchups, you know, and you now have a, a team that has a win versus a team that has a loss. Well, the team that lost lost to number one in their region by three points. Is that a better loss than a team who beat the 10th team in the region by seven? So is the loss better than the win as far as where they get ranked? I think those are the, the points where we really look at that because if when you get to that point, you're not usually talking about a 10-0 and team. You're talking about a team that has a blemish on the record somewhere. And, you know, does the team that lost to the number one team in the region rank better than the team that has a loss to an unranked team? And that is, I think, where the, the coaching element helps a lot more to evaluate what those what those look like. So, you know, 26 out of 32, I, I don't know the, how to boil that down to a smaller fraction. So most of your work is done um, on that on that Saturday. And, and you have the input of the, the regional advisory committees as well. So a lot of the work, I imagine, is done. How much time do you spend on selecting those five teams 
or six teams if you count pool B. And then how much time do you spend working on the seating and the travel arrangements? Because I feel we get hung up on that stuff a lot. So pool B is done very quickly. That's always the first thing we do is we know we kind of know who those ten teams are, um, either independents or in the the one conferences. This year, one conference that doesn't have access. Um, so that's a pretty easy one for us to fill out. And then it's really the other five. And I'd say last year it probably took us almost two two hours to figure out those five teams. Now, the first team in was pretty easy. I think the second team in was pretty easy. But those next three spots, um, there was a lot of discussion, a lot of comparative data being brought up to figure out who. Because you're looking at, again, once a team goes off the board, now you're bringing a new team in that wasn't previously a part of the discussion. And certain teams, even though they're the third team in their region or their second team in their region, they might be better than the first team in the other regions. And I, I think that that was a, you know, last year um, there were some interesting cases where, you know, a team might, I think we had a second 10 and 0 team, but they had a really low strength of schedule versus a, you know, a nine and one team who had a strength of schedule that was off the charts. And how do you make the decision as to who goes in first uh, because it does impact the pool as to who the next team coming up on the board is. Sure. Now the, the hardest part with the seating is it's not a true seated tournament. Um, you know, there, you can, you can say there's probably a one and a, a two in each region, and then it's more restrictive because of the, the mileage requirements and travel and things of that nature. And the, the nice part is they do have a, a, a system that gives us the exact mileage when you pump, you put the two schools in and it pops up exactly how many miles away that is to see if that's a, a viable option. Um, last year, we tried very hard to create some new some new matchups and, and you know have teams that could go across regions and go from the north to the south or go from the west to the north for games. We tried to create as many of those as we possibly could, but that's that's we're we're limited there more than just creating the best one verse thirty two seating rankings as we as we maybe would like to. Right, and and longtime listeners, I think probably grasp that but for folks who are who are new to it it um it is one of the quirks of of the tournament that makes it unlike the ncaa the division one basketball tournament or any other tournament that that they're familiar with what um correct i think this is the part where pat has to drop the i would walk 500 miles absolutely i've just been taking notes while you guys have been talking you mentioned uh teams that kind of hang around the ballots uh you know someone who's been on the ballot for a long time and obviously there's only like five rounds of this discussion so nobody stays around super long but at at some point it does is there an advantage to having been on the board first on the ballot first compared to someone who comes in after someone who in their region has been selected and they get moved up you know i actually don't think there was in the last couple of years i think it's more of a the matchups and the numbers change every time you bring somebody up there. And sometimes you introduce a common opponent late in the mix that wasn't there. Um, and so I think that that's a, you know, probably a bigger factor when you get there. I don't think being on the ballot longer or shorter is necessarily an advantage or disadvantage. Usually this is a week where, you know, you guys have put together a full mock regional ranking with the uh, first public ranking coming out next week. How did that process go for you guys? What did you learn? What are your takeaways as you go into doing one for real? So I think that what you find is sometimes across the different regions, there's a, a different way of thinking. Um, and so that, that's one of the best things about the mock ranking is it kind of let, kind of let us see, 
because each ranking regional ranking committee has new members this year. And so as they get two or three new members, it maybe changes the way the conversations are going. Um, the mock rankings are really to see what criteria is each region really focused on. Is it just winning percentage or is it are they looking at the strength of schedule at the same time? Um, or are they, you know, are there other things that are contributing to their thought process? And I think that that was kind of a, a neat thing for us to see. I know that on the West region, we had about an hour conversation before the voting. And then the, uh, the national committee had an hour plus long conversation on what we saw on the mock rankings yesterday to just go through and try to maybe recenter some of the rankings on criteria or re regional ranking committees on criteria. Um, so I think it's a good, it's a great opportunity for everybody to kind of give their piece. I mean, you're, you're talking about nearly 50 people having input into this process when it's all said and done between the racks and the national committee. And so I think that a lot of opinions are heard and it kind of leads the, um, you know, the, the racks in a certain way, you know, some, some racks will have their undefeated teams will be the top one through three, and then you'll have your one loss teams and then your two loss teams. Others will have a two loss team above a one loss team because of their strength of schedule and who those losses were to. Uh, and, and that's okay. I mean, there's, that is that human element piece that comes in. Well, and then do you guys as a national committee, a have the authority and then B make use of it to rearrange some of those things where you think it might not be arranged the same way as some of the other regions? You know, I think what we try to do is go back to the rack and say, you know, why is this, why is this happening? We need to understand from the national committee level, this doesn't make sense to us. So we need to have a clear cut why this is going on and going into that. I think that's the biggest reason we do the mock is to get people centered onto one mindset. And that's the, the hardest part is in the different regions, you have different mindsets of what is, you know, whether they value a conference a certain way or an opponent a certain way. I mean, there's there's a very good chance that there's a 10 and 0 team not there was a or an undefeated team that's not ranked in the first regional rankings. And it's like we go back and like, OK, primary criteria number one. Again, we understand that not all nine and O's are the same, but they're not even in your top 10. So that's where I think we have to push back on the rack to say why. Why do you feel so strongly that this is how your vote came out? As the coach of a team from a, a conference that doesn't get ranked as highly in our conference rankings as um, some of the more traditionally stronger conferences, how do you be as fair as possible to the teams from, from you know, conferences that aren't as strong versus being as fair as possible for, for you know, a nine and two or eight and two or a nine and one uh, team from from a stronger conference and because you know if you've coached long enough you have relationships throughout the business you've interviewed other places or, or whatever the case may be and so you have you you have your own personal wants and desires how did the how does the committee deal with um with keeping it as fair as possible where coaches are coming from you know, they have their, their own reasons for wanting certain conferences to do well their own reasons for for um, wanting to see teams do well or not well or whatever. How, how do you guys manage that part? Yeah, I think there's two things that really that help there. There's the accountability at both levels, whether it's on the rack or at the national level, where there's enough representation that one opinion can't really swing the, the room. I mean, football coaches by nature are alphas, and, the, and they're going to have an opinion, and they're not going to be bullied into another p opinion. And I think that what happens is, you know, you've got, five coaches on a committee, they're not going to just have one guy tell them what they have to do because of his own biases. I, I think that every coach can kind of can kind of sniff that out. 
Um, mm. I think that the NCAA at the national level also does a good job of questioning, you know, why is that ranking happening if it doesn't match any criteria whatsoever? There has to be something that can, you know, can hang their hat on. And I think that one of the things that being a coach in this role, I think I'm the first coach as the the chair in over 20 years, is I want to have an answer. Like I want to be able to, when you guys ask me a question that Sunday afterwards, that I can say, yeah, here's why we made that. Here's why the committee made that decision. Here's what they saw. Not a, well, you know, it's just kind of the way the, the cookie crumbled and that's that's just kind of what we have to do. And so I, I want to be able to look at the different things and say, here's why. Um, I think that we try to look at the teams that have really played that challenging non-conference schedule and how those results went for them. Uh, and I, I think that's probably something that can help those, you know, not as ranked highly conferences is have your top couple teams go out and play teams from those other conferences and, and get wins. And uh, I think that's something that can help um, kind of across the board because those head-to-head across non-conference games probably have more to do with, um, you know, who's getting home games and things like that than, than some of the other criteria. If it's against another team that's in the tournament, that's going to really help a, a school or a team get the seating, if you call it, want to call it that, or get the home game that is, that is coveted. Coach, I hear you saying that you want coaches to uh, schedule uh, quality non-conference opponents or quality uh, opponents from other conferences. A, is that am I hearing that correctly? And B, do you think that's a message that the committee has sent consistently over the past 10, 15 years or so? Or has it been kind of mixed messages? I think since I've been on the committee, that's been a pretty consistent message. And, and I'm definitely saying that because I think that when it all boils down that, you know, if you have a team two conference champions played each other in the non-conference or, or a really highly well-respected team out of conference that maybe is one of those non-conference champions that have a shot at being in the tournament, you want the, you want that on your resume. And I think that that helps identify teams to either maybe, you know, be ranked as tr- maybe getting the home game over somebody else. Again, there's only five non-AQ situations and unfortunately, there's not usually a lot of crossover between those teams. But if there is, that's really going to help, um, you know, us in trying to identify who should get those spots and then, you know, who should get a home game. I think that's a huge point, too, that, that once you're in the tournament, then you're talking about who you get matched up with and do you, do you play at home for a week, two weeks, or, or, or uh, longer than that. You know, Pat coined this phrase, a long time ago and maybe I took it and repeated every year, but sometimes it's, 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 I feel like we, we spend so much time getting hung up on who a team lost to. We forget that it's important to have wins. So it's not necessarily who you lost to, but it's who you beat. And for teams that schedule well, having that win, it's nice to hear you say that, that it's rewarded. And if, does that mean when you schedule for Lake forest, you're, you're going out and looking for those games to the degree that it's possible. Um, within region, sometimes it's backfired on us like it did this year. Um, I, I think that one of the that. challenges, most of our scheduling is done about four years out. And so there was a cycle in our scheduling where we had scheduled teams that were, you know, five and five, six and four pretty consistently. And then all of a sudden we play them for a year and they go, oh, and 10 that year. And But we had scheduled that game four years out and that didn't help us at all a year ago. So I, I think that, yes, I try to do that within reason. Um, there are also, in my case, because we cannot see a conference team 
for six years in our schedule that sometimes it's about getting that, you know, our, our closest conference opponent that we don't play, getting them on the schedule to see them. So I, we have a lot more things to go into that than just the, um, you know, rankings. But I think that for, for my personal perspective, if I want to get Lake Forest College into the, the national tournaments, win the conference. And we have a, we have probably one of the best ways to do it because it's the conference championship game that sends our automatic qualifier in. Right. So there's no doubt. Yep. How do we deal with the at-large bid situation? As teams have basically fully conferenced up, we're to the point where we're going to have five at-large bids now for the near future. And there's without a way to expand the bracket, how do we expand championship access for conference runners-up? You'd have to say this thing is as tight as the rusted lug nuts on a 55 Ford. You know, I, I, I don't know that there's a good way. This is something we spent probably... 10 hours in February on um, at the national meeting. And the problem we have is the calendar. We can't really push things back because then we run into Christmas. We can't push things forward because of the expense on colleges to come in in the preseason. The only other option that was proposed was the bye week and the sports science committee is going to be opposed to that because of health and wellness for student athletes. And so there really isn't a great way to do it. And, you know, short of creating um, conferences that are a little bit bigger with more teams and less conferences, I, I haven't come up with a really good way to, to come up with that. I know our committee has looked at it. We've been challenged to look at that by the NCAA, but there's just not another week. There's not another a day in the calendar without putting more expenses onto the individual institutions to lengthen the preseason. And uh, that's not that's just not in anybody's best interest at this point. Right. Would the would the NCAA or would Division three have the ability to declare that an automatic bid for football requires eight teams rather than seven, for example? That would be within the NCAA purview. Yes, they could definitely have that. That would probably have to come from either championships committee or competition. Uh, probably have to come from championships committee at the NCAA level because there would be some bylaw changing or it'd have to get sponsorship at a um, NCAA committee or an NCAA convention. Right. Some school or conference, or actually I think technically two schools or a conference would have to, uh, yeah, now it's two conferences or 20 schools. And I know that football has had its struggles getting its, uh, getting its agenda heard at the Division Three convention when, uh, you know, just uh, barely over half of the division sponsors the sport. That's correct. I think we've, we've seen that over the pre, with our preseason proposals over the last two years and the, um, when we've kind of brought non-traditional season into um, Division Three and trying to add shoulder pads and helmets and things like that. And it just it's a very contentious thing because we're the, it seems that football is usually the first one to present things and then other sports follow suit and uh, we we have to take kind of that brunt a little bit we talked a little bit about what the coaching takeaway should be from the decisions that you guys have made as a committee over the past several years what do you think the fans should take away from this what, what's the thing that you would most want fans to understand about how this all works uh, that we don't take this responsibility lightly and we're trying to create the best uh, tournament that we can, both for the student athletes who are participating in it um, primarily, and then to the, the rest of the people that are involved, whether it's administrators, coaches, fans, you know, we're really trying to keep the student athlete experience as best as we can to the forefront, whether it's 
even if there's a similar matchup like there was last year, flipping where the game is taking place um, and trying to create, you know, opportunities for new new games and not having to play the same team every year as best as we can. There are some challenges to that with our, our geographic limitations, but we do try to create some different opportunities for teams to play one another um, and, and make the best tournament that we can. Eventually you have to play everybody there. They're, you know, you're going to have to play the best teams to get there. Um, for better or worse, we've had a pretty consistent top four to eight teams in division three football through the last five to six years. And I think there's a, uh, a way to try and get them to have to have different games on their way to the championship without hampering their opportunity to get to the championship. For example, last year uh, for Mary Hart and Baylor, it would have been like St. Thomas and Brockport would have been different and uh, maybe more unusual uh, opponents for them. Correct. Correct. And, and I think that even in that, you know, sometimes we have to look as far as the bracket goes into that second and third round because of flights and things of that nature. Um, it's not just the first round flights. It's, it's kind of the total number of flights that are going to cost because when you're sending, you know, 65 people on a charter flight or 65 people out of a, a hub, making sure that we create opportunities for teams to get where they need to go. And again, this also takes place during final exams and things like that and trying to make sure that, you know, the student athlete experiences, you know, they're already in the first and second round missing Thanksgiving and making sure that they're having a great experience when they go someplace. It's not just a go go to play a game. We want to make sure that the host schools are able to do it. And that's, I think, maybe another component that comes into play here is not all schools that are in the tournament apply to host. And that can sometimes play havoc on the field as well, whether or not it's because they don't have the facility to do it. Um, they lack the amenities or the staffing. They may not actually put it into host because maybe they didn't think they were going to get that far. And if they haven't had it in, the, the hosting um, availability had to be in this past week. So that's already been submitted um, in some schools, whether they did or did not submit, can prevent themselves from hosting a game. So there's there are a lot of things that do go into this. How how often, Coach, does it happen uh, where someone can't host and, and it limits you? And by the same token, how often have you felt like you had a finished bracket, turned it in, and it gets kicked back to you because it's too costly or whatever the case may be? So I've I've only been on that call for two years, and I remember one team for sure was not had not submitted to host um, for a second round game. So that kind of changed some things as to where who they would have faced in the second round. Um, they would have been if you would have seeded it, they would have been the higher seed. They were a home team in the first round. Um, but that only happened. It has happened once that I've been there and we did not have the bracket kicked back either of the last two years. So I, those are the only two years that I can can speak for. To me, that sounds like the NCAA has beaten you guys into submission, for lack of a better term. <laughs> well, I, I think it's partially that, but I also think we get great leadership from our liaisons at the NCAA to, as we're putting the bracket together, look at it and say, yeah, that's you're going to be sending a team for three flights. That's pro One individual team would potentially have three flights there. That's probably not a go. There's a is lot. there a way for them to play first round a first round game that's not a flight or if, if they're gonna have to fly in the second round? Yeah, I understood. Uh, there's a lot of talk, obviously, about flights and, and about that 500 mile rule. What does the flight situation? What does the budget situation look like for the 2018 bracket?
You know, right now, I think it'll probably be very similar to last year as far as number of flights. Um, that keeping the same number of flights is still an increase to budget because flights prices go up and things of that nature. So I think that we'll probably be similar to what we were a year ago as far as what's available to us. Now, where we use those flights and how we use them is the the challenge. Can we get creative and do things within that to make it make it a little bit different? And does the fact that the Stag Bowl takes place in an area where 98, 99% of Division Three is outside of 500 miles, does that weigh into this process at all? Uh, no, it does not. So the championship game is is not part of our flight count as far as when we make the bracket up. Woohoo! I don't know, it's like one piece of good news, right? There's not a lot of good news otherwise. Um, well, it'll be warmer. It'll be warmer at the Stag Bowl. That could be good news as well. The, I, hey, no, that, no guarantees. The NCAA will probably Coach, spend less ever, on jackets. That's good. Coach, do you ever step back at, after you know a long night of going through the stuff on a Saturday night after a game's been played, and um, you know you you go through the, the get teams in, and then you see them? Do you ever step back and say, "Ah, this is a pretty darn good bracket," or, or do you step back and say, eh, "I don't like the way this one looks"? Uh, here, here, I'll give you my opinion of what I felt last year. I felt like we did the best that we could. And I think that we all felt that there was maybe a game or two where we would have liked to switch who was playing who and things like that, but we couldn't. And so there's the frustration of there's not the change. You can see two changes that make sense to everybody as to why you wouldn't want these two teams playing this game. But the reality is you have to, you have to play the games and, and schedule the games within the, ram, you know, the parameters that we have. Um, so I think that that's more of a – I think at first there's that bit of relief you know, then there's the, okay, we got the bracket. Does everything, is there anything on here that we just can't live with? And there really wasn't any of that last year. Because um, if you looked at where teams were ranked in their regions, it kind of fit in a lot of ways who they played, um, at least in the first in the first round. Then in the second and third round, that's where it's just kind of the potting of it had to go with, with where it went because of mileage and trying to get those games in. I mean, once you get to 16 teams, it's it's really good 16 teams. Usually, yeah, that's true. As a follow-up to that, do you do people on the committee ever talk about or do they care about how the teams perform once they're in the tournament in relation to making the, the matchups look like you you picked the right matchup? Um, I, I do think that there's a, you know, there's some games that will surprise you from occasion. Um, and then there's other games. I mean, when you have – the number two team in a region play at one point. I think we had last year the number two team that was regionally ranked played a team that wasn't in the top five regionally ranked and it was a one point game. So I think sometimes we get surprised like that because on any given Saturday, you know, somebody can win. Uh, but I do think that we do look at the games to see, you know, what kind of went on in that game. Was it competitive? Sometimes the score doesn't tell the whole picture. Um, you know, particularly when you get into the second rounds. Do the second round games? Are they competitive or is there just a team that's really dominant? So I, I think it's hard to hard to look at that. We don't look and see, you know, who we think would win because styles and personnel can change all of that. So I think it's just interesting for us to see how those those games play out. I think the game that uh, out of last year that I really would have wanted to see and that we in our mock bracketing process on that Saturday night kind of moved everything around to try to make happen was W&J Case Western Reserve. You know, obviously they are conference opponents, but they hadn't played a con- in conference in 2017, and they hadn't played in 2016 either. And with the, both of them clearly in the bracket, we wanted to get them a, an opportunity to actually play for that pack title. 
Well, in, in that, uh, we believe it or not, we absolutely discussed that. And I think that what, um, you know, kind of, you know, they, they both ended up winning their first round game. And is that right? Am I correct in yeah. that? Remembering that? You're they correct. both won their first game? Yep. So I, I, I think that it, what would happen is if you if you make them play each other, they they lose a first round game against each other when they were good enough to win a first round game, um, you know, as it were. I, I mean, Harden Simmons and Mary Harden Baylor would be on the on line one for you on that one. But I know it hasn't happened in a couple of years, but it has. It does happen, right? Yeah, I mean, it, it absolutely can happen, and I I don't think it's out of the question to have those games necessarily with with some of the other um, restrictions that we have on making the bracket. Um, but I, I think that you know they were a case where we were able to you know with with them because they're located in the South region, but they're geographically located closer to the North and the West. We were able to use their opportunities in the tournament to go and play across region, and I, I thought that that was actually more positive than having them play each other. Yeah, I mean, I think when we look at it, we 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 want to see highly ranked teams get get matchups that they we feel they've earned, but we also like to see those ex- the games you think are going to be pretty good games, whether it's in the first round or as you project out in the second or third round, you say that's going to be a game I watch. Or, uh, or in our case, you know, we, we start circling games we'd like to fly to in round three or maybe in the semifinals. So, so yeah, I mean, that's you look at the bracket as a whole or holistically, um, I think it's more than just the first-round matchups and who's at home and, and which conference plays which conference. I would agree. Our goal, our goal is to have the best four teams in the, in the championship game, and the best part is in that second and third round, they're going to have to earn their way in. That's Jim Catanzaro, the head coach of Lake Forest College and the chair of the Division Three football committee. We'd like to thank him for taking the time to have this conversation with us on this podcast. Uh, he mentioned that he's the first head coach, the first active head coach in the Division Three as the chair of the National Championships Committee in at least 20 years. That basically dates back throughout the entirety of the pools era. There have been a couple of committee chairs who were former division three head coaches and in fact, recent former division three head coaches, but he is doing that job, which is a, a pure volunteer gig in addition to coaching the foresters. So we really appreciate that he was able to spend some time with us and help enlighten everybody. I hope that this is helpful for you guys out there in terms of understanding how the football selection and uh, championship and bracketing process goes. Before we go, one quick look ahead to what's coming up on our next podcast on Friday, podcast number 217, our game day podcast. Keith McMillan and I will look at the big games to keep an eye on. We'll, of course, pick a random game out of the the random number generator to find one game to spotlight that's uh, perhaps off the beaten path a little bit. And uh, we'll do our uh, regular segments. And also we will chat with Western New England University head coach Jason LeBeau. Here's a little bit of uh, what we'll be talking about. Uh, you know, everybody's recruiting the basically the a similar pool of kids, and uh, so when when you're competing on Saturdays, you you, you recognize a lot of people across from you. Um, but there's a lot of people that are doing things differently, and uh, different leagues that have you know different resources and different things. So uh, it's it's definitely uh, it's and especially this year, I think the parity is a lot more. There's a lot more good football teams. It's spread out pretty well. Uh, where I think that's why when you know the rest of the country looks at it, just because there's so many teams, uh, you know, recruit and the same people that maybe uh, you know, we might not be as strong as, as some of the other areas, but uh, I think it's just, it makes it from my point of view and being in it, it just makes it all that much more competitive. So keep an eye out for that. That podcast will be in this feed 
on the 26th of October, Friday, podcast number 217. And this was D3Football.com Around the Nation podcast number 216, released on October 25th, 2018. Thanks for listening and keep an eye on the rest of our coverage throughout the weekend. Also keep an eye out for our regular game day podcasts coming out on Friday. If you like this podcast, please consider rating it in Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, anyway, anywhere you get your podcast. Leave us a rating or a review. First of all, that makes us really happy, and it's nice. Uh, It helps other football fans find it, however, and it gets us higher in the rankings as far as I can tell. So please do that. You can also leave comments on the blog page. The executive producer of the D3Football.com Around the Nation podcast is Pat Coleman. Production assistance provided by Dave McHugh. Our theme music is by DJ Mentos, whom you can find at djmentos.com. Thanks to our guests, many thanks to our guests, uh, James Catanzaro, Jim Catanzaro, the head coach at Lake Forest and the chair of the National Committee. We would not have had this edition of the show without him. Keith and I might have uh, waxed poetic about the playoff process for about 15 minutes and had a lot of filler. This is a much better conversation. Also, thanks, of course, to uh, Keith McMillan, the creator of Around the Nation on D3Football.com and my co-host. You can reach us to talk more about Division Three football on Twitter using the D3FB hashtag. I'm at D3Football. Keith is at D3Keith. We have a message board devoted to Division Three football. Did you know? Register to post and join the conversation at D3Boards.com. Also, you can follow D3Football.com on Facebook. All right, you got one, you got one point to make, Jay-Z or Nas? Oh, Nas. That, that's easy. Okay, that's fine. You and I are on the same page then. That's actually the uh, one of the classes here on campus, History of Hip Hop. That's one of the debates that the students have to engage in, and the Jay-Z group always loses because they keep asking, saying he married Beyonce, so that means he's better. Like, that has oh, nothing wow, to do yeah. with his ability to rap. <laughs> they got to do better. I'm glad they offer that class, though. I would, uh, yep. I would love to either teach it or take it. I just want to take. I, I told our professor I'm going to take it as a uh, just as an audit. I don't want an actual grade. I just want to come hang out. Gotcha. That's a good idea. I would have to take that as pass fail. Thank you. Thank you so much, everybody.